Welcome back to week two of Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and a scaredy cat. I am Cecilia Talbert and I'm joined by my best friend, Riley Ott. And this week, our uh, weekly consumption is the Cabin in the Woods. Just so everybody knows, since we are going to be discussing Cabin in the Woods, there are going to be many spoilers for Cabin in the Woods. So if you have not seen it, don't listen to this. Listen at your own risk. Cabin in the Woods, a 2011 horror comedy film. It was directed by Drew Goddard. It's also written by Drew Goddard, along with Joss Whedon, who is probably one of our favorite people, I would say. Uh, favorite creator. I don't know favorite human being, but I like his work. <laughs> I guess that's true. And he and Drew Goddard have worked together a lot. Yes. This was actually Drew Goddard's directorial debut. But up to now, I think he's just mostly written, if I'm correct. I believe so. I think written and produced have been his main roles. But I know he and Joss have been involved in a lot of projects together. Yeah, because they did they did Buffy, Angel. Did they do Dollhouse together? I believe so. I know they did a lot of his earlier work together. Joss typically works with the same people for most of his projects. Yeah, I think ever since he fell off the wagon after Age of Ultron and he did um, Much Ado About Nothing, that's what he did, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. After he did that, like, as far as Joss Whedon goes, he's completely fallen off my radar. He, I believe, wrote the Suicide Squad screenplay? Or no, I'm sorry, he wrote the Justice League screenplay. Oh, wait, you're right. Yeah, I don't know why I forgot when Zack Snyder left Justice League during editing before they were doing reshoots because his son had passed away, I believe. They brought in Joss Whedon to finish it. But I think that was the most recent thing that I have been aware of him doing. Yes, yes. So along with the creative team, it stars familiar faces like Chris Hemsworth, Bradley Whitford, Richard Jenkins, Jesse Williams, Amy Acker, Fran Kranz, a lot of the... I guess you would say Goddard Whedon family. Yes, it is nice if you are familiar with his work to see other familiar faces on screen. Yeah, so that's just kind of a quick rundown on the general people who are in it slash behind it. But I guess the real question is, Riley. Yes. How did you like the movie? I liked it. It was good. You've seen it before though, right? I have. I saw it for the first time probably five years ago. It was put on Netflix or some streaming service and I watched it alone in my apartment. So not when it came out later. Yeah. At the time, it had been so heavily advertised as a horror film, as they do a lot of times with horror comedies or satire films, they misdirect you in the advertising. Yeah, because they don't know how to advertise you for both, so they usually just pick one. Exactly, yeah. So I went into it thinking it was a full horror film, and the only reason that I was willing to watch this was because Joss's name was attached to it, and as you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my all-time favorite shows. Buffy is a great show. Absolutely. But yeah, I liked it. I think I honestly may have liked it a little less this time around. I still think it is a very good film. I think, I don't know, there were just a couple chunks of time where I was a little bit bored. I can see that. 
the first time that you did see it, did anything in it scare you? I know that it ends up obviously being, it's a comedy. It's kind of like how we went and saw your next expecting a light horror film and ended up being like a horror comedy. Right. And I was terrified going into that film as well. And now it's one of my favorite movies. The only thing that stuck with me through the years from that movie and something I was very afraid of that night was the, I don't know that this thing has a name, but it's that ballerina at the end when they're in the lab, when they've gone downstairs and they're seeing all the monsters through the glass. That ballerina with like all of the sharp razor teeth and all of the mouths, just the image terrified me. That scene where they like go down below in the elevator and they're kind of in the boxes with all the creatures. That was great. I like all the little horror nods and all the different horror creatures they have in the boxes. I tried to pause it and kind of look around, but I couldn't really tell a lot of things. Do you think the fact that you kind of knew the twist kind of took away a little bit from the impact of the first time seeing it? Maybe. I feel like at some point before everything intertwines and Marty and Dana, the two of the main characters, end up in the lab and figuring out what's going on, I feel like the movie itself is a bit disjointed and that I'm watching two completely separate stories and they didn't do enough in the beginning to make it slightly more coherent. I see what you're saying. I think for me, viewing it critically, I actually kind of think that the disjointedness almost kind of works for the film and what they're trying to say because it's very Brechtian where it's always trying to remind you that this is not real, this is a movie. I I labeled it as the office in my notes because I didn't know how to put them down. For me, they're a huge representation of horror fans, especially critical horror fans. And the fact that at the beginning, they're like completely unfazed. It's almost like a a boring office drama and it's just how horror fans the more you see it kind of the more and more you need to scare you that's kind of how it came across to me like they don't take it seriously at all it's just every day they're almost numb to it okay my takeaway from that of who the people in the the lab or the office were supposed to be representing was i was assuming that the when they were talking about the people downstairs, that was the horror audience. That was the horror fans. That was the audience that they were trying to appease by doing what this whole ritualistic sacrifice of these people. Yeah, I think there are a lot of audience stand-ins and horror fan stand-ins in this movie. I mean, there's the office workers. There's the the old gods. I think Marty is a very good representation of any person sitting in a theater watching a horror movie because he's just pointing out all the blatant things. One of my favorite lines is when they go down into the basement and Dana has the journal and she's like, oh, this last thing's in Latin. And they're like, oh, read it. And he was like, don't read the Latin. Right, like Marty was the only one who wasn't being affected by these people in the lab and he still had some sort of rationality. Ironic to his stoner persona, he was the voice of reason. He's the person in the horror movie, I think, that everybody thinks that they would be. Not maybe the stoner part, but like very self-aware, very much if your friends are like, let's split up, you're not going to be like, yeah, you're going to be like, no, why would we split up? 
Don't go down in the basement. Don't read the Latin. Yeah, this isn't an episode of Scooby-Doo. We're not splitting up. We're staying together and getting the hell out. Yeah, and a lot of the things he says is a lot of the things people would scream at a screen. Like, don't go down there. Like, look behind you. Stuff like that. Well, I was screaming along with him. Dana, don't read the Latin. That line read. Fran Kranz, probably Marty and him are my favorite part of this whole movie. They are so funny. His comedic timing is perfect. Oh, absolutely. He got probably the most laugh out loud moments from me. Just his line delivery in general is phenomenal. So circling back before we get more in depth with everything, I was going to say on a scale one to 10, how horror struck do you think this movie made you? One to 10? Um, I would say a two. I would say I'm at pretty much a one. But then again, I have seen this movie a lot. I don't remember being afraid of it the first time I saw it. Slashers in general don't usually scare me. And I saw the ending of this movie about four times before I saw the rest of the movie. Oh, because you had to do the walkthroughs in the theater back when you worked there? Yeah, I worked at a movie theater, and so we would go in the last few minutes, or we would just go in periodically to check on people, and I think the reason I ended up seeing it actually was the week it came out, I was filling in for one of the ushers who was out, and so I was working with someone else to clean the theaters, and so we would hang in the back for the last few minutes. So that as soon as everybody was gone, we could clean up real fast. I kept seeing Dana and Marty sitting on the steps, like holding hands and talking about the old gods. And then it coming down and the hand coming. And I was like, I'm very confused. I've seen the trailers for this movie and this this doesn't make any sense to me. Right. That would be very jarring to see just based on what it was advertised as. I did read that in the very first scene, when Joss and Drew sat down to write it, they decided to start with that scene in the lab just to basically make people believe that they had walked into the wrong movie. So it's funny that you say the exact same thing for the end of it. But also, I think I would be afraid that if I tried something like that with a project, people would just walk out. There was one thing that happened... That happened a lot while working at the movie theater. You just learn to realize that parents and grandparents, for the most part, do not look really look into the movie they're taking their kids to. So, like, sometimes we'd have a grandma walk out mad that she had took her 8 or 10-year-old into an R-rated comedy or something. And we can't tell you you're not allowed to take your small one into a theater if you buy them a ticket. It's your job to look up what the movie is. Right, that's what the rating system is in place for. So that's nothing that you did not coerce them to buy this ticket. They did that on their own. Like when my dad accidentally took us to Scary Movie. He did not go yell at the nice people who he gave the money to. No, he just made you turn around because it was his mistake. So the characters in this film are all basically your typical slasher movie tropes. So we've got the innocent virgin. We've got the quote-unquote whore. We've got a fool or stoner, an athlete, and a scholar. So we have got Kurt, Holden, Jules, Marty, and Dana falling into a place there for each of them. Yeah, absolutely. I might not call Jesse Williams by his character name Holden. I might just call him Avery through the whole episode. Accidentally or on purpose? 
uh both okay that's fine <laughs> because even though i've seen this movie i haven't seen it probably in about five years or so there was a period where it came out that i saw it a lot but i i just kept missing his character name and so i just started writing his name down as avery in my notes i for some reason had to look his up right beforehand because i could remember everyone else except for his and i didn't even see him as jackson because he's so baby-faced in this movie yeah i'm wondering if it's just that maybe they don't say his name as much as they say the other characters and also like all the other characters have really quick names right so to preface that we may accidentally slip up and call jesse williams character avery or jackson rather than holden his name in the film because we are both huge Grey's anatomy fans i'm not gonna slip up i'm just gonna do it oh that's fine i'm gonna probably slip up if you do (laughs) so one of the things i really really like about the characters in this movie at least the five archetypes i guess you would say the five young college adults they're pushed into their slasher film boxes but they're all almost the opposite of their box like dana is supposed to be the virgin but she had an affair with her professor and jules is supposed to be the dumb like slut blonde but she has a steady boyfriend she's pretty mad yeah Kurt was supposed to be a dumb jock, but he's in school on full academic scholarship. Yeah, and he's like getting a like psychology or sociology degree. I can't remember which one. Honestly, I think the only one... I can't flip Holden as cleanly in my brain. And I don't know if that's because his character just isn't written as well. I think his character is actually, and it's nothing against the actor. I love the actor. He's great. His character is written kind of plain. Right. He is never fully fleshed out. There are a couple mentions of, oh, I took Latin in the 10th grade and things like that that make you think maybe this guy is very smart. But I don't know enough about him to determine that or not. Yeah, I feel like they realized that they just needed a fifth character, and so they kind of wrote him in. Right. He doesn't really do much, but I guess other than Dana and Marty, the rest don't really do anything. They're just there to die and be sacrificed. Exactly. They serve their purpose for the ritual, but otherwise, they're just there for kicks. And I think it's really interesting as far as their characters go. When they go down to the basement, the items they pick up, the jock picks up the sphere, but it's actually a puzzle. So it's a ball, but it's got brains behind it. And the one thing that you think the the ditzy girl would be attracted to, the wedding dress, she's actually attracted to the necklace on it instead. I actually had considered any of that. But once again, Holden is kind of plain, so I couldn't really make out what the music box was supposed to be. I like that Marty picked up a film reel. Very meta. Another representation of how he's the audience dissecting the film. I actually hadn't picked up on that. I may, once I rewatch this, have to pay more attention to that scene in the basement. Dana picks up the journal and her character beat. She's the empathetic one and shes it's definitely a sign of how she's going to be the last girl because she cares the most. Right. Like she's the one who is going to continue to progress the plot because she's the main character. Yeah. So how did you feel about the characters in the lab slash office? So Brian White's character, I believe his name was Truman. I don't remember any of their names. He was the only one from upstairs whose name I could sort of remember. I just referred to them as the actors' names the entire time. Brian White's character was some sort of, like, security guard. And I think in the film, I related the most to him because his role seemed to me to be a person like me who does not like horror film, doesn't understand, 
when they're betting on the outcome of what is going to kill them, he's in the corner saying, this is terrible, this is disgusting, you guys are betting on people's lives. He just seems very confused and offended by this entire act. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. If we were to both watch a slasher film like we are going to for next week, you're probably going to have more sympathy for the characters than I would have. Right, because you're just used to this is how these films go. Yeah, exactly. It's how a slasher film goes. You can pick up who the final girl is pretty quick and then you know everyone else is pretty much expendable. And I have probably watched more slasher films than anything in the horror realm, so we'll see if that is the result when I do watch this. I am going to be really intrigued at the movie we're watching next week, or I guess this upcoming week for the next episode, is going to scare you. I don't know if it will scare you, but I think it will definitely unsettle you. I guess we'll find out. Oh, one thing I was going to say is the thing I really think is funny about the office workers, especially during the whole, like, they're taking a pool on which monster is going to be chosen when the uh, five transgress, is they seem so much like internet horror culture to me in a way because there's this moment where somebody is confused or like I picked zombies why didn't I win like oh you just picked general zombie these were crazy hillbilly mutant something or other incest zombies I was like yeah that's that's the internet yeah I saw that actually and when that scene was happening I paused it for a moment to try and read through what were the options I was on her side she should have won because there it was so subjective that there was a column that said like witch and then right underneath it it said like sexy witch but you know who says i can't find the terrifying monster witch sexy literally when you say sexy witch and i think horror film the only thing i think of is the movie the witch in the end the spoilers they're all naked and dancing in the woods and then they all float up i don't think i saw that i'm positive i didn't see that but it doesn't sound sexy because wasn't the whole movie like a metaphor for having a period it's like a metaphor for like coming into womanhood and kind of owning your power i don't know if we would watch the witch anytime soon even though i personally didn't like it that much i really respect what it did we might venture and watch it at some point because it is very atmospheric it does its job at tension really well i'd be fine with that i really like the the lighthouse that he did so i have been interested to check out his other films What were your general top favorite moments were for the movie? Oh, yeah. I really liked probably what I would consider the first creepy moment in the film. The gas station scene where they meet, I believe his name was Mordecai. Just the guy who played that role took it so seriously. And I think once you find out that he was working for the people in the lab and he was all part of it, while they've got him on the phone and he's still talking like a creepy serial killer. So method. Just the way he did that was very funny. That whole gas station scene is really funny because that is also kind of like a slasher movie trope. You see it in um, like Friday the 13th where it's like a bunch of teenagers. They're going to a cabin and then they they need to stop and ask for directions or get gas. And that like almost that same scene happens in, uh, in Friday the 13th. Right. Like they can't just stop at the local BP or something. They have to stop at the absolute most terrifying place in the middle of nowhere with a giant closed sign. Nope, gotta entertain those old gods. I guess so, and they sure as hell did. 
I also really liked the scene when they are actually at the cabin and they're all swimming in the lake. And it doesn't seem like anything, but the reason I liked it is because looking into trivia for the film, the reason that Fran Krantz's character does not get into the lake and the reason he's got such baggy clothes on the whole time is because he's just completely ripped. And they wanted him to keep this dumb stoner persona, but he was as in shape or possibly more than Chris Hemsworth. That is hilarious. I guess nicknamed him Ripped Jesus on the set for some reason, but I really liked that scene. I really like the scene where you find out you could have figured it out when it happened, but Marty didn't actually die, and he's alive and he comes back. I love everything, Marty. I fully thought that he was dead because an axe goes straight through his spine. There doesn't seem like a lot of coming back from that. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that, especially slasher films that happened, were like a lot of the hits he would take, you would not be able to get up and keep running. But it might also be like one of those adrenaline things where you just have so much pumping, you don't really feel the pain. Right, like there's a scene later on where Jesse Williams is basically being dragged up by a bear trap and in the following scene he is just running around and completely unfazed by this gotta keep going and i guess in that situation if i were still able to move would do the same thing if i went into shock and were able to yeah, you just gotta fight to stay alive i also really like the truth or dare scene the truth or dare scene makes me uncomfortable well i think just the line i dare you to make out with that moose and then he points to a very obvious wolf head once again marty is the best part of this movie absolutely that was probably the hardest i laughed during the whole film i think my all-time favorite scene though is the scene where they go down below and they realize they're trapped so they're like fine and they release all of the monsters that scene where it's just a pause of them staring at the elevator and then all the doors open oh my gosh so funny so much blood Love it. Yeah, that was probably visually my favorite scene in the movie. It was very fun to watch. I wish, I think that's maybe part of why I did not like the movie as much as I was hoping, is because in that scene specifically, there are so many references to other horror films. It essentially is just a fanboy's wet dream. There's so much going on, so many different references to films that I am not familiar with, that I think maybe going through this podcast and then going back to that scene specifically, I'll be able to point out more of what I'll have learned from this. Yeah, there's a lot of fun nod. I remember one of the things you see in the boxes is you see the twins from The Shining. Apparently, I just read this online because I was trying to I was trying to look to see what the critical reception for it was when it came out because I, I couldn't remember. And they talked about, do you remember the game Left for Dead? Yeah, I played it once or twice with you. I guess they had a tie-in planned with the game, I think the second one, and something fell through, but they had, I guess, a lot of, like, the Left 4 Dead creatures, like, in the boxes. Oh, that's interesting. Although I did read it on Wikipedia, so who knows if it's actually true. Right. And I know there was a lot, like, during production, a lot got changed and held up, and the movie didn't come out until three or four years after they had wrapped up. So who knows what information has been misconstrued at this point. The thing you said about the more you get familiar with horror, the more things you recognize. I like that because they show, they call it the ritual, which is pretty much them killing off these young kids. They go around different countries. And so although Cabin in the Woods itself is 
really a take on the slasher film. They do have a lot of references to other horror genres. So like Japan's got like the supernatural, the like scary hair ghosts. Right. And it actually referencing something that you said last week, it reminded me a lot of The Ring. Yeah. Yeah. It's like The Ring, The Grudge, a lot of Japanese horror. But there were also some other ones like, I, but I think it was interesting because a lot of the things they picked are very indicative of their country. Like, although America is obviously not the only country to do slasher films, we're notable for it. Japan is notable for those the supernatural ones. There were a lot of nods to catastrophe films and gothic horror I saw. There was definitely like a nod to like the monster movie. That's really interesting. Do you think that Americans are making so much more slasher films is because of just the state of living in America and there's so many more serial killers and like active shooters and things like that going on? It's a pretty good question. I'm trying to think of lately what's been coming out. Horror, like any film genre, is got to kind of ebb and flow. So when you look back to like the 70s and the 80s, slasher films are definitely like dominant. Now I feel like we're going through a straight like social commentary horror phase. And it helps now that there are a lot of not just the same white man creators. There's Jordan Peele. You're finally seeing new perspectives. Well, and that's because the state of the world is just terrible. So that kind of aligns with what's going on still. And I feel like we just finally out of the found footage horror. I didn't see uh, probably any of those films. The only found footage film I have seen in the past decade is Chronicle. If I would say it's a horror film. Not at all. I mean, there are definitely horrific aspects to it, like the thought of people who get powers and maybe don't do nice things with it. Like, I didn't see Brightburn. It looked interesting. I heard it was, but the kind of aspect of what if Superman was not a nice person? Like, what kind of child would that be if you had limitless powers and couldn't be stopped? Like, how terrifying. Well, I feel like that's a much more realistic way to look at that, too. Because if I'm a kid and I realize, oh, I don't want to go to bed, so I've got these superpowers, I'll just threaten my parents with them and do whatever I want. I've got the power. I think horror is interesting because I think it's probably the most referential genre. A lot of the times it reflects issues that are going on currently. If you look at the 70s... I just recently watched the original Stepford Wives and that movie, I don't know why, that movie really shook me. And that was like right around like the women's liberation movement and all that. Got like the Twilight Zone in the 60s and there's a lot of episodes about like the Red Scare. And then the internet comes around in the late 90s and you start getting a lot of meta films. So like Scream and Wes Craven went through a crazy meta phase. Scream and then New Nightmare. I'm only familiar with the Scream movies from him, so I'm looking forward to watching some of his other stuff. Okay, we just went on a super long tangent. What were we talking about? Do you want to talk about maybe some more subversions that this movie does? Well, I just thought it was interesting, one, that they didn't go for the typical, like, I know this is running joke for a lot of horror fans, that the black guy always dies first, but Jesse Williams' character was, I think, the second to last person. He survived throughout almost the entire film. He was almost the second to last person, but then we find out Marty is alive. Right. Yeah. If if everything have gone according to their plans. Yeah, the Marty fake out. Yeah, he would have been second to last But I think otherwise, they mostly followed suit with what happens in slasher films. Like uh, the first 
death is Jules after her and Kurt go out into the woods to hook up. Have sex. Yeah, if you're in a horror film, sex equals death. Don't do it. It does. It's it's like that quote from Mean Girls. <laughs> if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant and then you're going to die. He warned us. How did you feel about the end of the movie? Because I personally really like the ending. And I I don't know what the general consensus on this is, but I think I remember when it came out, people did not like the ending. Okay, I was actually going to ask you, if you were in Dana's situation and you had to choose between sacrificing yourself and your friend or sacrificing the entire world, what would you do? The thing is, I think I would probably be in Dana's shoes where I would be torn, but I think the reason I would be torn is because I don't know if I would believe the director when she said that I had to kill him, and they were telling you about old gods. It's like the evil Truman show, like the Truman Truman show, the horror movie. Like, I just wouldn't believe anything. Because everything's been fake up to that point. And a shout out to a special cameo from Sigourney Weaver. I love her. She's great. She might. She's also one of my favorite parts. When she came out of nowhere, I was like, what? Oh, absolutely. What a great cameo. Yeah, that was very exciting. I. It also reminded me of anytime I see her now, I just think of that scene in Finding Dory. She comes over the intercom and says... Hello, it's me, Sigourney Weaver. She's great. I love her and everything. She is. She's so good. Have you ever seen Alien? No, it's on my list. I think it's on the list I made too. Okay, awesome. It could probably be a like a semi-quick up in the lineup kind of movie, I think. Okay. Yeah, that'd be cool. So what do I think of the ending? Yeah, how do you how do you like the ending? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are you confused? Are you kind of meh? I liked it. I think if I were in Dana's shoes. I would also be conflicted, but I understand why she did what she did. Same. Because one, it would be very hard just physically to sacrifice yourself and your friend. And also, if I found out this was going on underground the entire time, I would want to completely destroy things and give everyone a second chance. How do you feel about from them sitting and then the old gods rising? How do you feel about that part of the ending? I thought, okay, so it reminded me of, have you seen The Stand, Stephen King's miniseries? I have not. Where at the end, the hand of God comes down from the sky. It's a little bit cheesy and a little bit heavy-handed, pun intended, but I think they pulled it off a little better than that, but it just seemed so reminiscent of that that I thought it was a little bit cheesy. I wish we would have been able to physically see the old gods but keeping it vague is probably the best choice there i really like the ending every time i watch it the more and more i actually really really like the ending and i think it's for two reasons one it seems very lovecraftian and two is slasher films have a stereotype especially the earlier ones they end without ending I think of Nightmare on Elm Street, especially the first one. You believe that Nancy has defeated Freddy. And then there's a last scene at the end where she's going off to school and everything's kind of like this dreamlike state. And then she ends up in this convertible that is in Freddy colors and you hear like Freddy laughing in the like cuts. And so you don't really know if it's that she didn't kill Freddy or if maybe she's having a bad dream or what's really happening. 
what you like about the cabin in the woods is that it's a definitive ending. Everyone is dead. Yeah, they're like, you know how slasher films, like how you can kind of see people or the monster coming back. I mean, look at Friday the 13th. There's that classic scene. I don't know if you've seen it, but you probably are familiar with the scene where it has um, Alice, the like protagonist. She's on that boat in the lake. Have you seen that? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, I can't spoil it because it's so good. Right. But there's a lot of scenes in horror. You've seen Nightmare on Elm Street though before, right? Maybe not recently, but you've seen it before, right? Nope. That's got to be an early watch. Nightmare on Elm Street is probably going to be my horror slasher film. It's my favorite horror slasher film. It's so good. I love it. I think I'll like it. I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series because it just gets so weird. It, and it just leans into it and I love it. And even like the second one, it might be everybody's like not really liked film, but it's so weird. I love it. It's great. I like weird. Nightmare on Elm Street does a good job of people like Freddy. We're going to make Freddy the main focus. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting thing. I wonder if that'd been done before with an actual evil horror villain just becoming the protagonist. I don't know if I can say it was done first, just because Nightmare on Elm Street and like Friday the 13th, they're all kind of coming out around the same time. So they all kind of, a lot of the slasher films leaned into their antagonist becoming their antihero. Are you familiar with the Chucky movies? Not very. The only thing I really know is that he's an evil talking doll. It follows like the same trajectory. The Chucky movies also get very strange towards the end of their film run, but it's, it's kind of fun. We need to do your, this is your first date movie. We were going to talk about that. I guess I could talk about that right now. So uh, there was like a period in college where it wasn't really on purpose, but I had a date and we went to dinner and then we were going to go to a movie after and Cabin in the Woods had just come out, and I had seen the ending, and I really wanted to see it. So I was like, well, this would be interesting. And so we watched it. I realized that I thought that the movie, even if you didn't like it, was very interesting and a very good talking piece. And the fact that guy I went on the date with, he was very sweet, but he was also kind of boring, and he didn't want to talk about the movie. And I was like, it's so easy to talk about. So then that didn't work out, and then... Like, the next person I, like, dated for a little bit, like, we watched it together, and then, like, later on, when I went on another date, like, with this guy for, like, a, like a couple weeks, like, I was like, we should watch this movie, and, like, somehow it ended up becoming, like, the date movie, where I would judge if somebody were interesting. So it became, like, a test, where you're like, this is something that a lot of different people could have some kind of opinion about. And if you can't even talk about this, how are we going to talk about anything else? Well, exactly. And for someone like me, who I love film, and like when I see a movie, I want to talk about it. Even if we disagree, it's fun to talk about. Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to move on. Yeah, that's a good test. I don't know. I feel like a couple of the guys that saw that movie with you did end up just being boring as hell. You know what is really funny? But I had just assumed that Michael had seen it. So when I went to watch it for for like my homework assignment... Like, I was almost done with it, and he, like, he was playing games in the other room and came in and was like, what are you watching? I'm like, I'm watching Cabin in the Woods. You've seen this, right? And he was like, nope, never seen it. And he walked out, and I was like, now I need to make him watch it. Well, I'm afraid for Michael. Now he never passed the Cabin in the Woods test, and apparently that's the first, that's the gateway. You're going to have to break up with him. 
Oh, he's opinionated enough. He wouldn't just be like, it's okay or bad or like good, good or bad. He would tell me why. So. Oh, actually circling back to the ending of the movie, there was a moment that I thought because the zombie girl that had somehow makes it down to the basement. Yeah, patience. And the director were basically sacrificed. And when you find out they only needed two more people, I thought maybe there was going to be like some sort of loophole where Marty and Dana were going to survive because they had gotten all of the bodies that they needed. Like maybe patience was a child, so she would qualify as like the virgin sacrifice. And the director was just a fool for letting this whole mess go on as long as it had. I was really holding out for that, but obviously things did not go that way. Oh, I know. We can wrap this into um, something I did want to cover. We could talk about some things that we did not like about the movie. And I don't know if so much I would say it's a dislike so much as just a criticism. And it's not a big one because I still really like the ending. But... The idea is that they're doing this whole big thing to entertain the old gods. So don't you think them killing like a hundred people would have satisfied the old gods? What do you mean? They they go down. So I'm I'm figuring that the old gods can pretty much see everything. That's my assumption. I could be wrong. But when they go down below. Oh, you mean in the elevator scene. And they release the monsters and they kill everybody who works there like i feel like they'd be screwed for the next year at least america would be but i feel like that would have been enough bloodshed to appease the old gods but it seems more like they want this sort of story or movie to happen they don't necessarily care how much bloodshed there is they care about these specific people needing to fill these roles yeah i guess that's true and they kind of transgress and go against that by not dying that's interesting though because even when marty had his fake out death and the cave drawing type thing filled with blood and they were basically saying like he's dead this is one more sacrifice complete wouldn't the old gods have rejected that but it seemed like everything was still going completely smoothly from the perspective of the people in the lab all the director said was that that the whore has to die first. So essentially the promiscuous one has to die first and then the rest can die in whatever order. The virgin just either has to die last or survive, but everyone else has to be dead. So I don't think it mattered where Marty died as long as he died before Dana. And it happened before the sun came up. Speaking of the, the virgin part... There was a moment where I was thinking, because at the very beginning of the film, you find out that Dana is, or had been having this affair with the professor. I thought that maybe they were doing some sort of, like, Marty had appeared to be dead, but the virgin has to die last, and maybe Marty was the virgin, because they never talk about his sexual history other than he and Jules had once, like, kissed years ago. So I thought it was going to be some sort of role reversal in that kind of way. And maybe throw a wrench in things that way. Yeah, that'd be really interesting because, I mean, obviously Dana is not a partier, but she is kind of a fool because she she had an affair with like a married professor. Right, that's one of the most foolish things you could do. I think that would have been an interesting angle, but then it would have, then, then, then it wouldn't have ended yeah. the same way. 
Unless Marty didn't die. Then I guess it would have ended the same way. Right, I'm sure they still could have found a way, because Joss Whedon absolutely hates happy endings. I'm sure he would have found a way to kill seven billion people on Earth. Hey, it's a great ending for the old gods. They get to reign again. Well, good for them. They finally got what they wanted. Was there anything else that like bothered you or you weren't a fan of? I don't think so. But otherwise, I think the acting was good. The story itself is coherent enough that I can't complain too much about how it felt like two separate movies for a while. I think I overall liked it. It is a slasher film, but it's also like a slasher film commentary. Not everything needs to make sense. Right. And I think that's just another commentary on slasher films. Like even if half of the things in the movie don't make sense, when do they ever in like a Friday the 13th or something like that? I do think it is interesting though that I think I view Marty more as the final girl than I do Dana. And it's not always a final girl. There are sometimes movies where it's like one virtuous guy left. But I mean, for the most part, you get like Laurie Strode and Nancy, Alice. So it's usually a girl. But I think it was pretty interesting because I feel like you're supposed to like Marty the best. No, I agree. And I think that might be why I started trying to pigeonhole him into the virgin archetype because I just feel like I related to him more as a main character than to Dana. Yeah, and I think the thing about Dana too is as much as she's effectual in the fact that she makes it to the end, she doesn't actually really do anything. Marty is very proactive. Right, like he stays alive, he figures out how to kill the zombie, figures out how to get to the lab. Yeah, you see that in a lot of slasher films where the final girl she's at least fighting back even if she's maybe not successful she's at least really really fighting and and smart like the first nightmare at elm street nancy is almost a little too smart for her own good when i think circling back to dana not fighting back there's that entire scene of her and the zombie fighting on the dock and she's just getting her ass handed to her and not even attempting to fight back so of course i'm going to root for marty Moore, who has been so proactive during all of this I also think it's pretty funny. I guess not funny isn't the right word, but Dana's her battle on the dock is very much how I view what would actually happen if you were in a horror film. You would get one good hit. Someone would get one good hit on you and then you're like down for the count. You're like, I can't fight. I'm so tired. Everything hurts. Oh, absolutely. I would give up immediately. Oh, I know something I want to talk about. How do you feel about the merman breadcrumbs and that coming back around? Oh, uh... Speaking of things that did scare me in the movie, just visually, the merman was fucking terrifying. The makeup in this movie is is pretty good, and they do a combination of practical and CG effects. I don't think there's any way they could have done this movie completely practical, so I think the kind of combination they did at both, I think they did a pretty good job. No, I agree. I think visually the movie looked great, and I'm glad that they didn't just stick to either practical effects or CGI. All CGI probably would look like shit. But I was very sad that the poor Bradley Whitford character did have to meet his demise that way. And I guess that is a be careful what you wish for type thing because he wanted to see that merman so desperately and in his final seconds did. 
it makes me laugh because for me it's very reminiscent of the scene where they talk about the gang transgressing and choosing their own fates of dying and then all Bradley Whitford talk talks about is the merman and then that he transgresses and that is what kills him. I didn't even look at it that way. That's a really interesting thought. I guarantee you I'm reading too deep into it. I think it was strictly for comedy. They're like, we're going to have him mention this in the very beginning. And then this is going to be his undoing. Well, but I think there's also an argument that you could make that the people upstairs fit into the same tropes as the kids who are being hunted. Yeah, I like the way that their segment of the movie is very like workplace drama. And then slowly the aspects of the horror movie kind of seep into their world. thought that was pretty entertaining. Right. And you can argue that the same thing is happening to the kids during the entire thing because it starts out completely normal college kids going on a trip and then they start basically curating these things that are happening to them. Truman Show, the horror movie. I mean, some reality TV is pretty terrifying. At least what they do to the contestants. I don't know. I think reality TV, you could probably lump into the horror genre. I guess in a way, it is kind of like the cabin is the reality and like what's actually being filmed. And then you've got the office and it's like the command post. It's the production team and the production assistants and the camera people. And then below is the audience watching it. Well, that that's interesting. People in the lab are meant to be more of like a behind the scenes producer type. Yeah, I think it definitely does fit their role at least better into that. So coming back around, we did do a horror struck rating, so how much it scared you. But 1 out of 10 or 1 out of 100, what rating would you get this movie for how much you liked it? I'm going to do a 3 out of 5. I'm probably going to give this one 7.5 out of 10. So I feel like we're on the same track there. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're probably about the same. Pretty similar. So wrapping up on Cabin in the Woods, what have you picked for our weekly consumption to go over next week? I figured since we did a a kind of a slasher film commentary satire that it would be pretty entertaining and good for us to watch an actual slasher film. And not only just any regular slasher film, but what a lot of people consider as the first perfect slasher film and that is John Carpenter's 1978 classic, Halloween, which I know Riley has not seen, and I'm very excited to watch it. Yes, I am very excited. I think it will also be a movie that I will be able to watch without being too disturbed. I just want to know, other than the fact that you haven't seen it, what do you know about the movie? Because it is pretty popular and is pretty pervasive in pop culture. I have a very vague knowledge of the film. I know Halloween is the one with Michael Myers. That is correct, yes. I know that Jamie Lee Curtis got her reputation as a scream queen from this film, I believe. I know that the mask that they used is like a William Shatner mask, but plot-wise, I know pretty much nothing. Just general trivia. That's fascinating. I I honestly thought you would have not known like a crazy amount about it but I'm surprised you don't know the basic plot but I mean I guess you do know like the big things like the villain and you know that the heroine the final girl I think for some reason in a later film not the one we're going to watch that it is revealed somehow that 
Michael Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis's character are related somehow, but I may be completely wrong. Yeah, we could talk about it next episode, but like with many, many of these slasher films, the timeline becomes very murky. Yes and no to what you said. And we'll, we can talk more about that next episode because I don't, I don't really want to, I don't think it's going to spoil anything for you, but just in case. Right, let's stay as vague as possible for now so that I can go in blind and just have a very pure opinion of the film. I'm very excited for you to watch this. I, I'm very excited at how little you actually know about this movie. That's all going to change. Yeah, so you'll, you'll have to let me know if you think this is a you can watch on your own or if you would like to, to do a, a together watch for this movie. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have some sort of movie night. And even if it isn't something I'm afraid of, maybe just for fun. If you are listening, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, we are at HorrorStruckPod, if you want to head on over there. All right, horror fans. So in the meantime, stay stay spooky. spooky. Bye. Bye.